0: Back to Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 1 I want to teach a lesson entitled Identified with Christ. I think this is a very important lesson. I think it's important for adults as well as for children. But Let's notice verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So it's that phrase there, in Christ, that we want to pay attention to. And also some other phrases, in him. And in whom, as we look into this. If you've ever noticed, there are plenty of young people by young people, I'm talking about folks under the age of 17 who really struggle with their identity or with self-esteem. It could very well be that kids tease them at school, uh, call them names if they're a little chubbier or rounder than other people or narrower and skinnier than other kids. Sometimes children are teased because of their hair, or whatever the circumstance may be. But there are plenty of people in life who have to wrestle with this whole idea that they're not good enough. They don't look well enough. Well, you see that with adults also. The peer pressure that comes along, the struggle to look like this, to be like that. And over and over again, there's this desire, as we used to say, to keep up with the Joneses. We need to know what the family down the road is doing. We need to know what they are purchasing. And some people find their identity in the things that they own and possess. I want you to know from the word of God today that your identity is not linked to what you have. That I don't make a judgment about you on the basis of the car or truck that you drive. How old or how new it is. That I don't make any judgments about you on the basis of how you dress. But our identity is tied strictly to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to verse 3, and that last sentence there, it speaks of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So I want you to understand that you're blessed, and you're blessed because you're a Christian. You're blessed because you're in Christ. Whether you feel like you're blessed, or even think that you're blessed this morning, you're blessed because Jesus is your Savior. Now you may come from a bad history, may come from a family that did not amount to much, or did amount to a whole lot. And you may come from a family that has had all kinds of physical illnesses and difficulties and things like that in, in the lineage, but I want you to understand that just because all of that is in your past, you don't necessarily have to bring all of that into your life. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the cross put a stop to some of those things. You hear people very often talk about generational curses. And they'll say, well, you know, here's a family that was on welfare, and you can see that their kids are carrying on the same attitude, so they're going to be just like their parents. And then sometimes you can see it in the third generation. Where it's exactly like that. I know it's true. I've seen it. Growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I've seen parents that were on government assistance when my friends were in Head Start with me and they were still on it when we all graduated from high school. Well, some people will look at that and come to the conclusion that some folks are lazy, and very often that is the case. But I do know this, when I became a Christian, the thing that I had to learn was that verse 3 says, I'm blessed and I'm not cursed. You have to understand that. You are blessed because of your relationship with God. It doesn't matter what your children turn out to be. It doesn't matter what your parents have become. You are blessed because of the fact that you are in Christ. Nothing that you have done on your own, nothing that you will ever say is going to change the blessings of God on your life. Now notice again, all spiritual blessings in Christ. So if you're connected with Jesus, you're blessed. But I think we need to unpack that sentence and really unfold what it means to have spiritual blessings. Well, notice verse number four. It says, according as he hath chosen us in him. You ever thought about the fact that you're chosen by God to be in Christ? before there ever was a heaven and earth, before there ever was a sky, and this ball of wax that we're living on, that in the foreknowledge of God, he knew what year you would be born, what decade in which you would live, what era in which you'd be raised. And according to this, he chose you. Now, he didn't choose you because there was any beauty in you or me, and he didn't choose us because he foresaw in us any particular kind of merit. He did it simply because of his love for us. That's all it is, his love for us. We came into this world and into this kingdom, and we were the objects of his affection before we arrived. Well, if you loved your children when they were yet in the womb... I'm sure you loved your children when they emerged from the womb so if your love for your child is that great then God's love for us is even greater there's no doubt about it so God made a choice and if he has made a choice by choosing us then we should feel good about the choices that God has made why choose you? He loved you why choose me? Because he loved me well the The kids in elementary school that play the games, they stand around and the teacher sometimes tells the kids, okay, you pick somebody to be on your team. And then they go and they pick, but who wants to be the last one? About the only one that wants to be the last one is one who don't want to play. But for the most part, everybody wants to be chosen. When I'd go to the place called Woodhill Park in Cleveland, Ohio. They had over 30 different basketball courts out there. So, I mean, people from all across the city would come out there. And I'd go with my friends, and we'd show up 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning because we were going to play basketball all day long. And, of course, with the pickup games, you know, the ones who win stay on the court. The ones who lose have to leave. But if you've got your name on the list as the next group, you get to choose your squad who you want. So we were always standing around hoping somebody would choose us. Nobody wanted to be left out. We all wanted to play. But the good thing about God is he doesn't leave you out. If you're in the kingdom of God, you're on his team. And according to this verse right here, he's chosen us. In his son. That means that as a Christian. The choice of God. The selection of God. Is upon me. And it's upon you. And within that choice. Is the favor of God. So you should be happy with who you see. When you look in the mirror. And you don't have to be like some people. Who really have a sad day. Each day they climb out of the bed. Because they're not happy with their life. They're not happy with their home, they're not happy with their job. God has favored you. Enjoy the favor that God has placed in your life. Well, this is before the foundation of the world. We were chosen. Chosen to be what? According to verse 4, chosen to be holy without blame before him in love. So God's desire for you from the beginning and his desire for me from the beginning is that we would be holy and separate and different. From people who don't know God. What does it mean to be holy? It means that we live a lifestyle that conforms to the will of God. That conforms to the word of God. There are plenty of people who do not believe that serving God is of any value at all. A person who would try to discourage you from serving God, I can assure you, that person is not on God's side. And it doesn't matter if it's family. It could be a good friend. But when the Lord works in your life to bring you into his son, he brings you into his son because he wants you to live a life that is an example to people who do not know God. And you say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm at home all day or most of the week, and I don't always come in contact with a whole lot of people. Or I'm around people all the time, and the people I'm around aren't people that know God. How can I live a life That is holy and separate. Well just just know this. God's eyes are on you. Whether you're alone. Or whether you're in a crowd. And he's paying attention to what you do. And he's very interested in your behavior and your conduct. Because he chose you. He selected you. He wanted you to be saved. He went out of his way to bring salvation into your family. So verse 5 says. Having predestinated us to the adoption of children. Now I've pastored through the years a lot of people who come through foster care. And I've pastored a number of people who've been adopted. But do you realize that to a man, to a woman, people who have passed through those circumstances tend to suffer from some kind of a rejection complex. Why did my parents give me up? Why can my mother and father not take care of me? And often, even if they're in a loving home and somebody's looking after them in, in, in a very nice way and they can have all kinds of material blessings, they still wonder why it is. Way back yonder in the past, somebody didn't want them. And of course, for those that are in the system today and are in various group homes and who get shuffled from one place to another and are abused in the most hideous fashion, their prayers behind closed doors, if they're still praying at all, is if there is a God, why can't you help me find someone that'll love me? Because other kids have it, and other people are in homes where they are, you know, protected and preserved and cared for. Why am I in this position that I'm in right now? And this is what I want you to understand about our identity in him. The scripture says when we become a Christian, we've been predetermined to experience the adoption that God the Father provides. And the Bible says when your mother and father forsakes you, the Lord takes you up. Adoption, legally and spiritually, you have a heavenly parentage. If you did not have a good relationship with your mom and dad, if you do not have a good relationship with your mom and dad, you can still have a good relationship with your heavenly father. Now, typically, if if a person has a bad relationship with their natural father, that somehow or another, that tends to come over into their relationship with God. Because they start thinking God is the same way. And it's not true. It's not true. We learn from Scripture about the image and attitude of our father, and we need to know that we are his children. Now, in ancient Rome... If someone's parents abandoned them and left an infant along the wayside. But another family came along and grabbed the child, they could then adopt the child. And do you realize that once they went through the process of adoption, that the status of the child was every bit as legal and as binding as that of a naturally born child through the mother? That is to say, The inheritance, the will left by the mom and dad, is going to be shared with the adopted child, just like with the naturally born children of the mom and dad. Well, understand that the scripture says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But then the scripture goes on to tell us, in Ephesians chapter 1, that we have all been accepted in the beloved because Jesus is the beloved the scripture says this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased so now that we're in Christ now that you're in Christ and we're all in Christ together the favor the love god's desire that were upon his son are now upon us and we ourselves are children of god don't ever feel abandoned don't ever feel neglected God has not forgotten about you, God has not forsaken you, even as I said before, if you didn't have the best relations with your parents, God hadn't turned his back on you, so you've been adopted. And you can expect God to do wonderful things. Well, notice verse 6 there, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein, in Christ, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I've never met anyone that didn't want to be accepted. Even people who act like they don't want to be accepted. Want to be accepted. Because well, there are some people who mask their hurts, their pains, their insecurities, with jokes. They try to keep everybody laughing so they can deflect how they feel about themselves, how they feel about their own relationships. But if you're on the outside and you feel like you're the ugly duckling, or you're the runt of the litter, the one thing that anybody wants is to be accepted. People want acceptance. Why do you think the suicide rate is so high amongst young people? Why do you think we have so many people that, because of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of this, they, they feel such shame because they're being bullied socially and all of this kind of thing. People want acceptance, and when they don't experience acceptance, very often they shut down. But here's what you need to know. If we understand that our identity is tied to, connected to, linked with Jesus Christ, it just really doesn't matter if your neighbor doesn't like you. And who cares if somebody in your family has a problem with you? If you can find acceptance with God and you can live your life in conformity with him, then you're walking out of step with the people in this world. And who really cares what the people in this world think? They're not interested in you. They're not interested in the will of God. They don't want to see you prosper. The attitude of the kingdom of this world is to see the kingdoms of the people that are in the in the kingdom of God is to see them fall by the wayside. They want to see them backslide. They want to see them in trouble and in depression. But I'm telling you, God has called you to be more than a conqueror. Can you say Amen? You've been accepted. And since you're accepted, you should roll back your shoulders and walk around like somebody that has a relationship with God rather than like someone who's kicking a can around the street because you just lost your dog. You should have confidence in your relationship with God. Again, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So people like... To be included. They don't like to be excluded. Well let's move on. In whom. Talking about in Jesus. We have. Notice. Redemption. Through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. Now I don't need to ask. How many of us in here. At one time or another. Were sinners. Sinners. Because every hand would have to go up anyhow. But then I could specify and start asking how many of you had this problem, this problem, this problem. Then different hands would go up at different times. But the bottom line is, now that you're in Christ, you need to know you've been redeemed. You've been rescued. He pulled you out of the muck and the mire of sin. What does it mean to be redeemed? to be purchased to be brought back into relationship with God so that person who has felt excluded and felt like they had no had found no acceptance that man or woman who's been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to know that they have now gained a family of people who are just like them formerly sinners but now are redeemed yeah Formerly sinners, but now redeemed. Because when the Lord redeems us from sin, he pulls us out of the power of sin. And then he disables sin so that sin no longer has the mastery over you. A Christian cannot say, I can't break the power of sin. The power of sin was broken at the cross. What happens is a believer finds himself in the midst of temptation. We either yield or we say no. And if you say yes to sin, I can promise you it's harder to say no the second time you say yes to sin. You keep saying yes to sin, then it becomes near impossible to say no. I said near impossible. I didn't say impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. But all of us who have come to know Jesus through his shed blood have been redeemed out of sin. Think of the people who are former prostitutes now saved by God. Think of the people who were morally self-righteous who never thought they even needed any kind of Jesus. But when they came to know, they came to know that they were lost in their sins. They were redeemed. Think of the people who were evil, abusers, mean-spirited. Would put a fist through the wall at home. But came to know God. And in a moment, God changed them. That's redemption. Think of the people that couldn't help themselves because of various addictions that they had in their life. But by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Brought out of it. See? Think of the people that that even to this day, they're inescapably trapped. hooked. On everything from porn to who knows what else, connected to their phone, connected to their computer, and, and can't seem to break the cords that hold them to that. But there's a power of redemption that comes and snatches the soul out of death so that they can be free. The scripture here says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, and it's only in him that we can experience that then notice the next sentence there, or the next clause, the forgiveness of sins. Because people need forgiveness. And they need to experience it from God. There are people who won't ever forgive you for what you've done in your past because they'll never let you forget your past. And that's why the Bible says the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He has a memory. He knows exactly what you and I have done. And if he can find people that will listen to him, he will whisper into their ear and tell them over and over and over and over and over again about what you've done. But if you've experienced forgiveness from God, you're free. You're free. And you don't have to allow things that happened in your past to continue to bind you. There are a lot of marriages that would be a whole lot better if somebody could get over the fact that they stepped out on their spouse and could trust that they really experienced forgiveness from God. There are a lot of families that could truly be repaired if there could be forgiveness in that house. If maybe some a child or some adult child physically put their hands on their parents or something like that and they just can't seem to get over the fact that that happened but there's forgiveness for anybody that'll talk to God. They just wait in the presence of the Lord and say, Father, I need the assurance that only you can provide. There's redemption through the blood, forgiveness forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now you can see in verse 8, it says, wherein, still talking about Christ, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. If anyone needs guidance or needs the intelligence of God, they're only gonna find that as a believer in Christ. And notice this, wisdom. What is wisdom? The proper and right application of what you know. That's what wisdom is. You can have a lot of knowledge, But wisdom is the ability to be able to apply what you know to life. As my pastor used to say, if what you know isn't working for you, then you don't know it very well. That's how he would say it. What is prudence? That's still a a form of wisdom because it has to do with having an understanding heart. We talk about people being prudent. Somebody who understands things. And in Christ... We gain wisdom and understanding. You say, "How does it happen?" I'll tell you exactly. Exactly how it happens. Let's suppose you're a sinner and you don't know God. You've been living your life in the darkness. You've been living according to your own principles, your own desires. Essentially, you were your own God. You made your own decisions you knew what you needed to do and that's just the way you thought about it and all these other people that lived according to some old old book filled with fairy tales and legends that you believe you just thought I don't need anything like that but one day you heard the gospel and the Spirit of God worked on that heart and produced conviction and with the power of that conviction came the ability to repent and through that repentance came the power of a new life And once God reached down in that heart, and produced something new in that heart, and you were born again, suddenly you've got new inclinations. And you have new desires, everything looks different now. It's the same world, it's the same family, it's the same community, it's the same nation. But your perspective and your outlook has now changed because you've been born of God. And with that new birth, you begin to see things in a different light. And as you humble yourself to the Word of God, and you renew your mind with the Word of God, you begin to think the thoughts of God, you begin to believe like God, and all of that is continually developing your perception. And so you're growing in wisdom, and you're growing in prudence, or knowledge, and understanding. And then God begins to show you how to direct your steps and how your life can be guided by him. So now you're praying about business decisions. And you're saying, Lord, this is a pretty big challenge I have before me. And this decision could affect the next 15 to 20 years of my life. How do you want me to proceed? And God, by the Holy Ghost, starts speaking to you about people in the Bible and Challenges they had to face. Or you are praying, saying, Lord, I've got to move from one location to another location. There are doors that are open, and this, this job, it'll be a promotion. It's going to be a blessing. Is this something I should do or should not do? And God, the Holy Ghost, begins to work in your heart to bring into your mind people in the Bible that had to make decisions just like that. And you're saying, Father, this is a challenge that I'm dealing with in our family or in our church, or I'm wrestling with the call of God. Lord, are you wanting me to teach, to minister? What's your plan and purpose for my life? And as you're considering all of that, the Spirit of God is at work, slowly but surely, bringing into your life the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that you need. But it only comes when you're in Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. I've I've met a lot of smart people in my life. And I've met a lot of people in my life, had PhDs and everything else you can think of, didn't know God. But I've also met some people that never even graduated from elementary school that did know God and were smarter than some of the wisest doctoral people that I've met in my life. Because spiritual perception very often goes further than natural perception depending on what it is you're talking about and dealing with. The scripture says wherein he has abounded to us in all wisdom and prudence. Because it's in Christ he made known to us the mystery of his will. I wonder how many of us will live and die And never really fulfill the will of God for our lives. I wonder how many people have come to the winter years of their life only to ask, have I done the things you, Lord, wanted me to do? And the reason I ask that question is because we tend to believe we should do whatever we want to do. That's how we think. We're very self Uh, centrist kind of people, you know, we think about our own desires and we don't tend to think about the things of God. You watch people when they graduate from high school and I ask them as a pastor, what do you want to do now that you've graduated from high school? Rarely do I hear somebody say, I'm going to pray about what God wants me to do. They just start running off all the plans they've made for themselves without ever really thinking about what he wants. And then I'll talk to people and I ask them, okay, but have you found the mind of God for this? Well, well, no, I just thought, you know, because I had this particular talent, and this is what I like, this is what I'll do. But verse 9 says, the Lord, having made known to us the mystery of his will, because that's exactly what it is, the will, the wishes, the desires of God very often are shrouded And they're not known at that time. But as you walk with him, we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. He reveals just enough to lead you along on the path. And you never really know what it is that God is going to do until you take the next step. I don't know who I was talking to the other day. Maybe a young man, I think it was. He's one of our young man is down in mexico so he was talking to me about whether he should come out at this time or what he wants to do and so i told him I, I can't make that decision for you i just need you to know god's got a plan for your life and you've got to find that place in your relationship with him where you can live with every decision you make and he said well i started teasing him a little bit i said Are any of them little gals down there chasing after you down there in mexico of course he started laughing and he said well pastor you know that some somebody had already said i think so and so be a good wife for you i said well we didn't send you down there to get married but i said god's plans are bigger than any of ours and i said when it comes to god and praying to god you always keep your mind open just to see which doors god's opening and which doors god is closing And you go from there. But I said, there have been plenty of people who ran into blessings that they weren't looking for. Then I told them the story. I wasn't looking for Tiffany. But I knew one day I wanted to be married. And... What what ended up happening was, I certainly knew it was the will of God for me to be married, but I had always had to pray and say, God, give me somebody that fit my call, because I knew what I was called to do, so it had to be somebody that could plug in to that, plug in to what I'm doing with the ministry. And there were a number of of people that, you know, the... You know, just by way of natural relationships, show a whole lot of interest in people who were attractive and people who were all Christian. But they were never the ones for me. But I told that young man, I said, when I moved down to Baton Rouge, I said, I don't know. That I had anybody that encouraged me to go. Nobody wanted me to go back to the south. All of my family said, boy, we moved out of the south coming north. Why in the world do you want to go back down there? I said, well, I feel like God is telling me to go down there. My pastor wasn't interested in me going down there. He wanted me to stay there and take over the church after he retired. Well, I moved to Baton Rouge, stayed there. God gave me favor in the ministry down there, opened up tremendous doors for us on radio and just in traveling and in preaching. And then lo and behold, one day I meet this lovely lady. And of course fall in love with her and end up married to her. But here's the thing, all of that was shrouded in a mystery. I had no idea when God was moving my steps from one place to the other that I'd run into her. I just knew I loved God. You walk with God, submit your heart to God. And the scripture says that in Christ will abound to you wisdom and prudence. I just knew I wanted somebody that would be able to fit the call of God. Will you go with me when I go? She said yes. Will you let me go when you refuse to go? She said yes. It's time to do ministry now. See? Well, notice then in verse 11 now. It says in home, that's talking about in Christ, in whom we've obtained an inheritance. Now that's a big word. Because parents love to leave behind something for somebody. An inheritance is a wonderful thing. The scripture says uh, uh, a good parent leaves an inheritance to their children's children. That means all the way down to the grandchildren if they're able. But there's some people... What they leave behind may not necessarily be real estate or money, but it may be an heirloom that's precious, a set of china, in a family five generations, could be a watch, a necklace, could be a dress, or maybe a a vest that comes from great-great-great-grandpa who came from Europe or somewhere. But an inheritance is a wonderful thing. And all of us want to be on the receiving end of the benefits that come from someone who passes away. But there are some people don't have much to leave behind. They don't have any material blessings. Some parts of the world. People don't have any money, Some of them don't even have any homes there. Some people live their entire life renting. And never know what it is to have a house. Go to Maryland. Go to Virginia. Go to New York. People live and die on the 36th floor of the building they were born and raised in. Or California, where you've just about got to have 80 or 90 thousand dollars saved up just to put down on a little place where you want to live, and it only be one or two bedrooms. Because the house costs three or $400,000 in certain parts of California. So they don't have anything to leave behind. But I can tell you this. If you leave behind Jesus, you've left a whole lot. If you leave an inheritance that's spiritual, eternal, they'll remember that. And your kids will be happy that you taught them about Jesus, raised them in church, and had them in a place where the gospel was proclaimed to them. They may not always say thank you at the time that they're growing up. May act like they'd rather be somewhere else other than there at that time. But you know as well as I do, one day they'll have their kids. And they'll have to make a decision about what they want to do. And you know what they're going to do? Very often they're going to say, I want to find a place that was very much like where mom and pops went. I want to believe like them. If in fact what they believed was scriptural and encouraging. Scripture says in Christ we've obtained an inheritance. Romans tells us that we are all joint heirs with Christ. I'm an heir of redemption. I'm an heir with you. I'm not a pauper. You're not a beggar. God has left behind for us an inheritance. What kind of an inheritance? Well, the scripture says our God will supply all of our needs. So you should never feel bad at all when God goes out of his way To answer your prayers and the desires of your heart. You're an heir of the Father. You're an heir of the Son. Together. The scripture says that he's left behind for us a peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that the world cannot give. So I think we ought to be... Folks that have a lot of assurance in our heart. I realize in this world today there's a lot of instability and people are angry and upset about this and upset about that, but I'm not losing any sleep over what they're doing on Capitol Hill. There are some people, they just lay awake at night and veins are just bulging from their neck and from their forehead because they're so angry with what they see on the news. But folks, I, I'm not going to let any of that rob me of the peace of God and the joy of God that he's left for me. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the scripture says, in whom also we've obtained an inheritance. What do you do with the inheritance when you receive it? When your mom and pops passed away, if they left behind something for you, do you work to preserve it? I'm sad to say that all the years that I've been out here, I've seen terrible situations with inheritances. I've seen moms and dads and grandparents that 40, 50, 60 years work to acquire property, real estate, monies, develop a business, and before their bodies are even cold in the ground, the kids are already scheming to figure out how to sell what mom and dad labored for five decades to have. See? All they have on their minds are money. They don't have on their minds a desire to have continual residual income every year. They only see, I want what I want right now, and then when it all disappears, they say, oh my goodness, how did it happen? I can tell you exactly how it happened. We never appreciated an inheritance. Think of how many people in the kingdom of God reap the benefits of the blessings of Jesus Christ and are not jealous of one another. You shouldn't be jealous of me. I'm not jealous of you. However big, beautiful, your home, your car. I'm not jealous of you. I'm I'm quite pleased to have a roof over my head that doesn't leak. Quite happy to have a car that would get me from point A to point B. I'm glad to have clothes on my body. No sense in complaining about them. My grandma, anytime we ever complained about what we had to wear, she had one question. Boy, does it cover your backside? Well, yes. Then stop complaining then. Stop complaining. Well, the inheritance should be preserved, and God does not want us to sacrifice it. And there's a man in the Bible in the Old Testament that had to deal with that. The scripture says the children of Israel in the specific tribes were to keep their inheritance within their tribe. They were never to sell their land to people of the other tribes. So people in the tribe of Dan could not give their land to the people in the tribe of Issachar. But there was a gentleman who had some land by Ahab's palace. A man by the name of Naboth. Beautiful parcel of ground. And Ahab wanted it because it was near to the palace. And one day Ahab sent some messengers to Naboth and said, Naboth, this is a pretty patch of ground you've got right here. If you'd be so kind to sell that to me, I'd be pleased. I'll even give you a piece of ground that's better than this one. Well, if what you got is better than this one, why do you need this one? Because it's next door to the palace. So Naboth said, no, God forbid. Then I'll take my ancestors' inheritance and sell it. Well, they both went and he was sad, oh, excuse me, Ahab went and he was sad because the man wouldn't sell and Ahab's wife Jezebel saw him moping around the house and lying in that bed in the fetal position just moping. She said, what's your problem? He told her. She said, you mean tell me you're the king and you can't get that little piece of land out of that man's grip? She said, do I have to do this for you? That's what she did. She sat down, wrote some letters in the king's name. They took the property from Naboth, and they had Naboth murdered. And God had to send a prophet to let them people know that what they did was absolute wickedness. But here's the thing. Naboth lived and died and wouldn't give up his inheritance. We have an inheritance in Christ. We've received it by the riches of his grace, would you sacrifice it? Would you give it up? Would you walk away from this in order to have Buddhism? Would you walk away from this in order to be an atheist? Would you turn away from the redeeming love and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ just so you could have some easy, easy believism because you don't want to have to take up the cross and live a disciplined life? What kind of an inheritance are you enjoying and what kind of an inheritance do you want to leave behind? And here's where I'll close. It says in verse 13 there. In whom you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also after you believed. And you were sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise. When you trusted in the Lord God. Put his brand on you. Just like every year. These ranchers. Get these folks together and they get these branded irons and they put their mark on that cattle. Because you still got cattle rustlers out here and you still have people that will lie in a heartbeat. Mix their herd in with somebody else's and so you put that mark on that cattle no matter where those cattle are. Somebody knows to whom they belong. What does the Bible say? The Lord knows those that belong to him. The moment you became a Christian, God put his mark on you so that he knows exactly who truly is born again and serving him, even when we can't adequately discern who's truly a Christian. But the Bible says, in whom we trusted, do we really trust God? I hope so. If you have confidence in God and you believe in God trust God not only with today but trust God with your past your past doesn't have to hold you with shackles and hold you in bondage we are all redeemed and forgiven and however bad you think your past is I give you my word I know somebody with a story worse than yours but if you can also trust him with your past and you can trust him with your present you can trust him with your future Let them have it. Yeah. Let them have it. Don't worry about tomorrow's struggles today. Know that God has ordained for you to have victory. Just enjoy each moment. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep placing the footprints in the sand and trusting that God will preserve you, protect you, and promote you, and bless you. Can you say amen?